welcome to Whole Brain Teaching, the podcast. Join your host, Rhonda Arl and Laura Forehand. We want to help you as teachers reach your full potential by keeping you up to date with all the latest and best Whole Brain Teaching strategies. Whole Brain Teaching is a grassroots educational reform movement founded by Coach Chris Biffle, Jay Vanderfin, and Chris Rexstad. Whole Brain Teaching's goal is to create peaceful classrooms through orderly fun. To support the podcast, please like and share with other teachers. Thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast. And now, here are Laura and Rhonda. Welcome to Whole Brain Teaching, the podcast. My name is Laura Forehand. I'm Platinum Certified Whole Brain Teaching Instructor. I teach second grade in Missouri, and I'm so grateful to be here today with my great friend, Rhonda. I'll let her introduce herself. Hello, everybody. I'm Rhonda Arlt, and I'm a second grade teacher in Kansas, and I'm a Platinum Certified Instructor as well. Today, we are so excited to have Executive Board Member Andre Des Hotel back with us on the podcast. I call him the amazing Andre. Andre was with us on the episode 15, where he beautifully talked about how we can create those all-important relationships with our beloved rascals. And today we are looking forward to another amazing conversation. Before we start, we are coming to the close of a very strange and sometimes difficult school year. Andre, how have things been going for you this school year? Wow. Well, first, thank you both for having me back on this amazing podcast that I enjoy listening to very much. Um, And I want to thank both of you for continuing to pour so much into our whole brain teaching community. So thank you both so much from my heart to yours. Thank you. Um, Yeah. So what a multifaceted question to answer any (laughs) educator uh, right now. And uh, let's just meet it head on. So first, I have to acknowledge that each day, I am so thankful that I get to show up for these kids and these teachers and support staff. And I have immense amount of gratitude for that privilege of serving them. Now, listen, truth be told this year, I have never experienced so much failure in my life, which um, failure is going to actually be very topical for this episode, you'll find. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think certainly this profound amount of failure that I'm experiencing is a result of just um, just being new to the administrative side of things, but also there is this aftershock of quarantining that I think has had an impact on all of our social emotional well being, and you know all of this happening while serving and teaching under new restrictions and guidelines, and I think collectively that that probably has amplified the amount of failure that I have just been a part of. Mm -hmm. Um, And as I think about this, as educators, we get faced with so much, so many different situations that demand our quick thinking. And when we are making quick in the moment decisions, that naturally, I think, brings upon a great deal of risk taking. And these risks can sometimes yield success and other times let's face it, they can yield failure as well. And how we choose to respond to this failure, that is so important and quite frankly is critical for our mental health. 
Um, yeah, so most days I, I try to adopt a mindset that confronts these challenges and failures that come my way. And I have to choose to look each one of them in the eye and see the growth and see the learning that will come from them. Um, otherwise, we can easily allow our failures to own us and that, that can break us down over time. And so for me, it's a mindset, it's a paradigm that I have to practice and I have to be super intentional about that um, to see that my failures, my mistakes, all of them opens opportunity for, for growth. And, you know, honestly, look, there are moments when that mindset is not in the room. It's not even in town. And I just, I just cope with cake. Okay. Lots of cake, Rhonda and Laura. <laughs> I appreciate your honesty there. Yeah. You're absolutely right. There's failures every day. And if we can learn from that, that helps. Yeah, I appreciate your transparency as well. But we wanted to have you back on to discuss something that's very important. And you kind of even mentioned that. Um, it's an important aspect with whole brain teaching in our classrooms, which is how do we create that no fear learning community? So let me start with that broad question. What is a no fear learning community and why is that so important? Yeah, so before we tackle the idea of a no fear classroom, let's first talk about the expectation that warrants this kind of fearless community. And this expectation is very profound. And that is, we need every kid accountable for every moment of learning. Because this idea removes all the excuses, all the scapegoats from kids. If we want every kid to remain accountable, to get here, it does require us to cultivate um, an environment that's going to support this, this tall order. Mm -hmm. So to begin this expectation, here is a radical idea. Um, and I first began implementing this, I don't know, five or six years ago, and it's really changed how my classroom has functioned. Um, and that is, what if we removed hand raising when answering questions? For example, let's say we remove question stems like, um, who can answer? Who would like to help us? <laughs> or who could share? Because what happens with these stems is oftentimes it provides our students an option. And that option is to either stay accountable or not. Mm. And so immediately these stems can divide the class into mm -hmm. let's call them hogs and logs. And I believe the wonderful Sarah Metter taught me these terms <laughs> uh, many years ago. So shout out. So a hog is a student that always has their hand up to answer questions. And even if they don't even know the answer, their hand is going to be up. Even before you ask the question, you already know who is going to be playing this game, right? Yep. Um, these are your hogs. Now, your logs are the students that don't raise their hands time and time again. And they soon realize, ah, if my hand doesn't go up, I won't be called on. And I won't be accountable for this moment. I can just rest here like a log, all right? So those are our hogs and our logs. Well, I wonder what would happen if we just called on any kid at any moment to jump in the game. What would that look like? And it certainly sounds a little intimidating, uh, like we might be setting ourselves up for some failure, but that's precisely the goal here. 
Um, and let's think about why, because of how much we learn from failure, um, how much we can grow from that happening. And it sounds a bit unconventional. I certainly get that. So to support this radical concept, we need practical, powerful strategies for our students. And they are going to help us build a culture, a, um, a community that embraces, that will accept these failures and mistakes that are you know, inevitable. So in summary to the question, using just three words, let's normalize failure. Mm. Wow. That's interesting. Never heard about the hogs and logs, so I'm so glad that you said that. <laughs> <Yeah. this. laughs> that is absolutely true. Yes. Well, when we were talking with you um, for um, ideas with this podcast, you shared with us that Whole Brain Teaching has about five strategies that we could use to create a fearless learning community. The you're still cool, you've got this, help me, 10 finger woos, and positive trash talk. We'd love to have you talk about each one of these independently. So let's go with first, how do we use you're still cool? All right, yeah, let's unpack all of these. Um, so you're still cool, it basically creates a soft place for our kids to land on after making a mistake, especially in a public forum like a classroom, we need that soft, soft place for them. So it's a phrase and it helps to normalize our mistakes. And it also helps in failure recovery. So when a kid, even the teacher, when they hear a choral supportive response, like you're still cool, immediately after putting themselves out there and making a mistake, that can in some cases dramatically reduce the blow that you know anyone could experience when making a mistake. And it also strengthens the community. So the way I present You're Still Cool to students is I tell them, we all make mistakes. I, your teacher, I have a college degree and guess what? I'm still making mistakes and I'm still cool. In fact, I learned so much from making mistakes, I'm thinking about making a few more. And so I really try to cement that philosophy that in this classroom, it's, it's going to happen and we're going to embrace those moments. In fact, when we make mistakes in here, it's proof that we are trying and trying is so important in this class. And so that's kind of how I frame the you're still cool. And then we just start using it and I'll try to model it at first myself. So when I catch myself saying the wrong thing or writing the wrong thing down, I'll tell them, tell me you're still cool. And they jump at that opportunity to say, you're still cool, Mr. Desitel. And so first the teacher models that aspect and then uh, it gets naturally transferred to the students. And then we start you know, telling our, our students that they're, they're still cool when they make that mistake. So yeah, that's the general idea of you're still cool. And we use it many times throughout the day. And I love it. Mm -hmm. I love that one. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. That, that is one that is used a lot in my classroom as well. Um, this is one that I'm not sure that I know much about. I've said it, but I'd love to know how you've got this helps create that fearless learning community. Yeah, absolutely. So we already know that by removing hand raising, that's a bold thing to do, right? Mm -hmm. we, we might be setting ourselves up for calling on that kid that may be completely clueless. And sometimes they might even freeze in that moment. And this can cause a level of discomfort for everyone involved, right? 
And so often our teacher impulse in that moment is, is to shift the attention by calling on someone else. Mm -hmm. So before we go there to fight that impulse, to keep the kid we called on accountable, we, we need this extra nudge. And so you've got this is sort of an affirmation that tries to shake off any doubt, um, any nerves and pushes that kid in taking that risk. Because again, that's what we want. We want risk taking um, because that's how we grow, right? Right. So let's think about it this way. When we are teaching a kid um, how to ride a bike or how to swim or tie their shoe, we don't bail them out every time they're, they're struggling in that process. Um, if we did, we'd have a bunch of adults that, what, don't own bikes and won't go to pool parties and they only wear slip-on shoes? No, right? So we, we want to keep them in that struggle for as long as possible. And so if I were to say to you, you've got this, Rhonda, or you've got this, Laura, that's kind of empowering, right? And that's just a single voice. Now imagine a choral response from your peers saying, you've got this. Sometimes that simple phrase is enough that gives the slight boost of confidence needed for that kid to at least attempt to answer. Um, because remember, trying is what we want to happen in this class. It's, it's what we celebrate when it happens. And if that means we're going to fall off the bike sometimes, then, hey, we're going to be ready for those scuffed hands and those scraped knees. So let's do this, right? And while thinking about this for the podcast, I had this idea. Um, you know how much kids love stickers, right? And even Band-Aids. Well, what if we did this? Check this out. When a kid puts themselves out there and makes a mistake, how cool would it be to give them a Band-Aid that they put on their arm or wherever, right? As a representation that they took a risk, they put themselves out there. And so, you know, I think that would be really, really cool to kind of give that, that symbol to the Band-Aid in a classroom that, you know, we were willing to take this risk and this is how we recover from the risk. Now, I, I wouldn't encourage too many Band-Aids going home on a kid <laughs> that could cause some parental concerns. But uh, yeah, I thought the Band-Aid idea was pretty cool to try out. So yeah, that's, you've got this pretty powerful. That, that's, yeah, that's really cool. And, and I never even thought like I've used that, but I never thought about having all their peers say that and how powerful that really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And you Can know, you tried out this Band-Aid theory? that this idea have you tried it no, out oh it just it just came over Pops me in. while preparing yeah. for our talking points like yeah you know i think i would yeah. buy a bunch of band-aids and just hand them out to kids when they when they make those mistakes because we want to you know acknowledge and celebrate that they they did it and that's what matters yeah well, we'll have to get you back on and talk about it when <laughs> <tried> it out <laughs> well asking for help is one of the hardest things for many of us to do and i will admit it's very hard for me so why is implementing Help Me in our classroom so essential? Mm, such a great question, Rhonda. Um, this strategy right here has got to be one of my top two favorite whole brain teaching strategies. Um, and so basically, it helps to build your community. And what I love about it so much is the camaraderie and the pure student to student support that happens in its implementation. So the idea is um, you call on a kid to answer a question. 
they stand, they say class, everyone looks at them and says yes, but they freeze, they get stuck. So maybe the teacher prompts the, you've got this. And well, sometimes guess what? Tommy ain't got this, so now what? Uh, well, they have the option to extend their arms out and say, help me. And when they do that, it prompts the help me huddle. And this is where two to four kids rush over to that student needing help and they will offer counsel. Um, how would they answer the question? Um, what insights could they provide for that kid in that moment? Uh, whatever support they can offer, that's what the huddle is all about. And the huddle breaks apart. It ends as soon as the called upon student says class. Now, Remember, we're all about keeping every kid accountable for every moment of learning. So we have to think about the kids that are not in this huddle. What are they doing in this moment? Well, anytime help me is called out, the kids that are not in the huddle will automatically shift into a teach okay. That way, everyone is accountable. Everyone is teaching. So what is the teacher doing during this whole scenario? Well, I'll tell you what the teacher is doing. They're sipping a foamy latte, right? <laughs> they're, they're just going to watch it all unfold. Um, so there's really just a facilitator and observer during this process, which is great, turning that student ownership over. So, um, yeah, this is just dawning on me. I don't know if I love um, foamy latte so much or the help me so much, but I guess either way, we're all winning. <laughs> um, and, you know, I feel like the help me gives the teacher that safeguard to really push kids cognitively. And sometimes it is okay to really push them hard to the point where we force them into um, a help me corner. And I've heard Coach B put it this way. We want to push them so hard, metaphorically, of course, that they fall back into the supportive arms of their peers. Mm -hmm. And that's what help me is all about, leaning into that peer support. And so one of the concerns that uh, might come up um, with using the help me is, well, what happens when you call on that kid and every time you call on him, he uses the help me over and over again. He never attempts to just start on his own. He constantly uses help me. Well, when I consider that question, I think about the alternative. That is the kind of kid that would probably never raise his or her hand in the first place, right? Um, and so, if he's or she is willing to stand up and at least attempt and they're using the help me, that's still applying effort. That's still participating. Um, and in that way, that person is still accountable. So yeah, help me is hands down one of my favorite strategies. Awesome. So we've mentioned on several podcasts, the importance of adding funtricity into our classrooms. And whole brain teaching provides so many opportunities to do that, like you were just talking about with the teach okay or the just the teaching cycle in general. One way also is the 10 finger woos. So what is this and how does it create a fearless classroom environment? All right, 10 finger woos, let's do yeah. it. Okay, so with all risks that we are asking students to take, we need to celebrate and praise these efforts um, continuously because they are meeting a very high expectation, being accountable to put a spotlight on a kid or a group of kids. And so the teacher simply will state, let's give Rhonda a 10 finger woo. And everybody 
after hearing that prompt, will take their 10 fingers, point them in Rhonda's direction, waggle their fingers while saying, woo. And so that's a 10 finger woo. Now, of course, when you get a 10 finger woo, you let out something called a woozy. Now, what is a woozy? Well, this is a signature dance move or gesture um, that the kid, the recipient of the woo would give. And it can be anything from doing the floss to literally just blinking your eyes, whatever the kid <laughs> wants to do. That is their moment to just use their brainy creativity and come out with whatever woozy they, they would like to in that moment. And that just adds to the element of funtricity in the classroom. Um, and so, yeah, that's the 10 finger woo. And of course there's lots of variations on the 10 finger woo. In fact, um, a really cool brain break uh, that you could give to your kids is something called a woo challenge. And what a woo challenge does is it basically presents uh, an image if you'd wanted to use that for your kids to help drive the conversation and the creativity. You could put up an image of a volcano or um, a zombie, maybe even a cupcake. And you just give them 30 seconds to brainstorm and create what would a volcano woo look like? And then you'll take some of their suggestions and then maybe you can utilize one of them um, the next day or whatever. So it kind of passes on that ownership uh, to them. And anytime we can get their feedback and their insights, I think we're really adding to the community aspect of the classroom. So yeah, uh, that's the woo challenge. Love it. Yeah. I didn't know anything about these woozies. Did you, Rhonda? <laughs> you got to come up with a woozy now, Laura. But that's I why I love these podcasts because it, it rejuvenates me and it helps me remember things that we maybe have forgot about that we learned at conferences and stuff like yeah. that. But no. Or learn something brand new. And listen, it's just, it's wonderful entertainment for everybody when those movies come out. It's just wonderful. Yeah. Awesome. I think most of our listeners have heard of something called trash talk, but whole brain teaching has taken that to a whole new level by using positive trash talk. And I remember being at the conference when coach first introduced this and I was like, what? <laughs> sounds so intriguing. I was just kind of taken aback by it, but can you explain how this works and how it adds to a fearless classroom? Oh, absolutely. Wow. Yeah, this is, this is a pretty cool one. Um, and I have to say, if you have some really vibrant, um, kind of rowdy kids in your classroom, they are going to grab a hold of this positive trash talk like nothing else. So, Basically, um, the way we implement this is before a class competition or before asking a really tough, um, critical thinking question, maybe a triple whammy topic sentence, you would prime it with some positive trash talk. And this just helps to kind of boost the confidence. Um, and of course, it expresses that glorious kindness aspect. Um, and it really helps to motivate um, taking that task on. And so Basically, I, the teacher, would hold up, um, let's say, five fingers, and I tell them, you can give all the positive trash talk you want to give in this moment, but as soon as I close my fist, I'm going to count down from five, and when my fist closes, that is the visual that all positive trash talk stops. And so, um, should we do like an example of what that would sound like? Can I give you ladies some positive trash talk right now? Would that be okay? Sure. All right. (laughs) So, here we go. All right. I'm going to give... some positive trash talk to Laura and Rhonda. So listeners, um, this is a warning that you might want to turn down your volume right now because uh, sometimes it can get, get a little amped up. All right, here it goes. Positive trash talk. Rhonda, Laura, would you please just keep being spectacular educators? 
I mean, the way you teach young minds and the way you reach their hearts, it's just so inspiring. Promise us, promise us all that you will teach for another 50 years. Oh, and one more thing, your anchor charts, they are so hot. <laughs> all right, that's some positive trash talk. Oh, Given to the love it. <laughs> yeah. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Does it take a while for kids to get on board with this one? Well, it depends on how, I guess, um, the class makeup, the personalities of your class. So to begin this, I think as a teacher, you would model this. You would say, all right, this is how we're going to begin this. And, you know, maybe right before you ask a kid a, a certain critical thinking question, it's just you, the teacher, modeling what that looks like for that kid. Um, and of course, after you get that positive feedback, if you're the recipient, you would say thank you and everybody would say you're welcome. So, yeah, I would first do it with modeling and then um, transfer that over to maybe just a small group of kids and just kind of help give feedback in that small group. And then maybe eventually that end goal would be to have the entire class kind of getting on board with the positive trash talk, because I, I have found that the more kids that are on board with it, just the more fire it has. And um, right. that can really be super motivating. So, yeah. Yeah, that's good stuff. Um, as I think Rhonda brought this up earlier, but as we're kind of rounding the corner to the end of kind of a crazy school year, um, some teachers are going back into the classroom, but there are still teachers who are teaching either virtually or they're using a hybrid model. So how can they create this, this fearless virtual learning community that we've been talking about? How can they take what we've been talking about and move it into the virtual classroom? Absolutely. So, um, and I'll take any feedback and thoughts that you ladies have on this one. Uh, I've never taught in a virtual learning format. Um, so when I'm reflecting on these practical strategies to kind of build and sustain a fearless community, um, I think all of these strategies transfer well to the virtual model obviously slightly modified. Um, and I know that the, you know, let's take you're still cool. The first one that we talked about, um, everyone's probably going to be muted except the teacher and maybe one or two other kids. But whenever a kid does make a mistake virtually, uh, the teacher can still say you're still cool. And there is a gesture for this actually. And that's just kind of uh, moving your arms over your shoulders back and forth, kind of like you're cold as a cold mm -hmm. gesture. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think just having that visual, um, through the virtual platform could still help us implement the you're still cool. Um, and the you've got this. I was trying to think of what this would look like, sound like virtually. And so maybe the teacher has a prompt um, and maybe instead of everybody unmuting and saying, you've got this, Andre, maybe it's just everyone gives two thumbs up really close up in their camera as just an extra boost of motivation for that kid. Um, and the help me. So if a teacher calls on a kid, they unmute to answer a question, they get stuck, they stumble, maybe they say, help me. And that prompts um, any kids that, that are on the screen to raise their hand. And that kid that called the help me could select, you know, oh, Rachel, please unmute and help me out. And they can have that exchange. And of course, we can still do those woos in the camera. I think that works really well. Um, the positive trash talk, I would maybe just allow two to three kids to unmute um, and just allow that positive trash talk to erupt. Um, I think that that could still work in that platform as well. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, some great strategies for that virtual learning. Um, 
Last time you were on, you left us with an amazing real classroom story about a beloved rascal with whom you were able to have a tremendous impact. <clears throat> Excuse me. Do you have any such stories about how creating a fearless learning community has improved the overall dynamics of how your students interact in your classroom? Wow. Yeah. So um, I'll share an, in, an intriguing observation, actually. Um, I have consistently noticed from several years of implementing Help Me, guess which type of student is the first one to rush over to that Help Me huddle and give that peer support? That kid, I mean, nine out of 10 times, is going to be some of your most challenging kids in the classroom, your beloved rascals. And when I think about this phenomenon, like why, why is this challenging kid consistently running over to this huddle when I know that there's a very good chance that they're not going over there with true value to offer, you know? And I have to think about, well, what we know about challenging kids is they're challenging because they, they might lack of uh, a sense of purpose. Um, a sense of belongingness. Um, and some of them sadly feel like they have no value to give. And so when the help me huddle is, you know, implemented, I think it ignites their purpose. Even if they're not going over there and they're sharing, you know, really rich, correct answers to help out what's going on, just them actively being involved in that process I think really pulls them into the community. So that's been uh, something that I've recognized for several years now, and that I think is just really powerful stuff to see happen. So yeah, it's really great. I hadn't thought about it that way. That is pretty cool. Yeah, it's all so powerful. Like to see it in action, all of these strategies are so very powerful. Um, once again, this has been such a rich conversation and we are so thankful that you were able to carve out some of your personal and professional time to talk with us today and about how to create that no fear learning community. So if people want to know more or they have additional questions about creating such a, such a classroom, what is the best way for them to do that, Andre? Yeah. So um, if you go to the whole brain teaching um, website we have these amazing tabs at the top. One of them is called character education. If you click on that and scroll all the way down to the very bottom of that page, you will see a character ed upgrades button. And one of them is called the no fear classroom. And you can click on that and see a lot of what we talked about in this episode right there for you with uh, video examples of some of these strategies. And also we have our amazing Facebook groups um, that you can put out questions and get a variety of feedback and responses there. And if you have any direct questions that you'd like me to help you with, uh, my email is andredesitel at wholebrainteaching.com. Um, so yeah, please feel free to reach out. I'd love to support and help in any way possible. And they can find your email on the Whole Brain Teaching website as well. Is that correct? That is right. It is also yeah. there. Yes. Thanks. Yes. Okay. Okay. So like, Andre said, be sure to check out our Facebook pages. We also have some Instagram pages for all the latest on whole brain teaching. We are thankful that you all joined us today, and we are truly thankful and blessed that Andre for sharing with us today. Yes. Thank you both so much for having me back. It was a blast. Absolutely. Don't forget to follow us on your favorite podcast app and to share this podcast with all of the teachers in your life. As teachers, our goal is to help other teachers through these podcasts. 
We are so thankful to all of you who are joining us in this conversation today.